This is Elizabeth Thicken, and I invite you to study the Bible with me. You'll hear lectures from my women's Bible studies that I teach at my church. I've written in-depth studies on seven books of the Bible. They're available on Amazon. There's much more information on my website, elizabeththicken.com. And you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Let's dig into God's Word together now, knowing that His message of salvation has been spoken to us by His Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we'll trust that the Holy Spirit will teach us the things of God. I'll discuss Psalm 1 and 2 in this episode and explain how they serve as an introduction to the book of Psalms. They also tell us how our lives will be blessed, fruitful, and secure during whatever trials we may face. This is my New American Standard Bible, New Inductive Study Bible, and this is the Bible that I used when I was writing and studying the book of Psalms to begin with. So... It's very fun to see all my notes and details from that time. So I'm using that today. I may not be using that next week, but I like to change Bibles. I mentioned that in one of my comments somewhere along the way yesterday or today when we talked about meditating on the Word of God. I find it very helpful to change Bible translations from time to time. The title of today's talk is Three Keys to the Psalms. I have brought some symbols for keys. This is the first one. It's actually in the shape of a key. The, the others are not going to be in the shape of a key. The first key to the book of Psalms is Torah. You can see that on your handout. And Ellen, if you can begin sharing the screen back there, that would be great. Torah is from the root word meaning to teach. So the word itself, Torah, as a noun, means teaching, instruction. I hope you discovered that and, and took that in when you looked up your word definitions in your homework this week. All of our lives are to be lived under God's direction, His teaching, His care. We are to live according to God's teachings. In the Hebrew Bible, you have three divisions, and these are shown in those, or uh, examples are given to you in the three blocks on your handout. Three sections of the Hebrew Bible, Torah, meaning instruction, that is actually the Hebrew word Torah, prophets are the Nevi'im, that's the Hebrew word for prophets, and the third section is called the writings, and that would be the Hebrew word ketuvim, and that's just for fun. That's all the Hebrew I'm going to speak. No, no, that's not all the Hebrew I'll speak today. The Hebrew Bible, Torah, has those first five sections, uh, five books that you're familiar with, the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. This second division, the prophets, includes Judges, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and the 12. Those are there. And then the last section of the Hebrew Bible is called the Writings, and it begins with the book of Psalms. Click. <laughs> we are going to see that the way the Bible is put together in the Hebrew Bible 
is intentional and there are connections. So the arrows show that at the end of Deuteronomy, there's a connection in Joshua. At the end of the prophet's division, Malachi, there is a connection to the book of Psalms. And that's going to be on the next slide. So let's go to it. At the end of the Torah, Deuteronomy 31:26 says, take this book of the law and place it beside the Ark of the Covenant. Book of the law, Torah, that's what shows up in the Hebrew. And then immediately after Deuteronomy comes Joshua and Joshua 1.8 says, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you should meditate on it day and night. So there's a connection from the end of Deuteronomy to the beginning of Joshua. And then Malachi 4.4 says, remember Torah. And then we come to Psalms, which brings us to Psalm 1.2, which tells us to delight in Torah. So there is a connection. We look for these triggers from one place to another. I've already given you highlights in the book of Psalms of how it's structured. And now we see in the whole Hebrew Bible, Torah is emphasized and highlighted. And we have connections from one book to, from one section to another. When we come to Psalm 1, and see the explanation that the blessing of the Lord comes from delighting in his law and meditating in it day and night. This is in keeping with all of scripture. Click. <laughs> we're going to look at Psalm 1 and 2 beside each other because now we're going to talk about the second key. And that is the word blessing. And this is my illustration for the key of blessing. It's happy. It's a star, starburst. And I was just thinking of Indiana Jones and treasure hunts. And sometimes when they're out on adventures, the key that opens the lock is not necessarily a normal key. They have to be creative. What fits that spot? So this is my illustration for key number two, blessing. And we're going to look at Psalm 1 and 2 side by side. They serve as the dual introduction to the book of Psalms. The key themes in Psalm 1 and 2 are repeated throughout that whole book. Psalm 1 and 2 may have been written as one psalm originally, but we have them now seen as two psalms. And by the time they were referred to by Luke, when he wrote the New Testament, he referred to the second psalm and he quoted actually from Psalm 2, just like we know it. So by the time of Christ, Psalm 1 and 2 were separate psalms, but they go together, which is why we say they might have originally been one psalm. All right. The first thing to notice of how these are coordinated is to see that they are Hebrew poetry and they have a poetic device called an inclusio or inclusion. Click. The first line and last line, last line mirror each other. Psalm 1-1 says, how blessed is the man. And Psalm 2-12 says, how blessed are all who take refuge in the son. And if your translation that you've used as you studied used the word happy is the man instead of saying blessed, I just want you to know that that is an appropriate translation of the Hebrew word asherah. Many versions say blessed, but happy is appropriate. It means that. Asherah means happy, blessed. That's the idea. So the beginning and ending of Psalm 1 and 2 points out the theme of the Psalms is blessing. Second key to the Psalms. So what makes a man blessed? It's going to tell us. 
The second connection between these two psalms is their language. The same Hebrew words are used in one and two, and I'm going to point out a few that match. Click. <laughs> we translate them differently, but in Psalm 1, we see in his law he meditates day and night. And in Psalm 2, it says the people devise a vain thing. And it's very strange to think that meditate and devise are the same word in Hebrew. It's the word Haggah in both of these Psalms. This very action is what describes whether a man is righteous or wicked. What is he doing? How is he Haggahing? <laughs> the same word shows this contrast between the righteous in Psalm 1 and the wicked in Psalm 2. I want to give you a little bit more information about the word Haggah. It's used primarily in poetry. The basic meaning of it is a low sound, like you're talking under your breath. The term often refers to the plots originating in the heart of wicked men or nations, which are then given expression in lying and deceitful words. And you can just think of people plotting and they're over to the side and they're talking secretly and quietly to each other in a low voice because they're, this is a secret plan. But the positive use of the word Haggah relates to meditating upon the word of God and perhaps like plots that are discussed over and over again, meditating on the word of God is to be done over and over again, day and night. And it is possible that scripture was read half out loud in the process of meditation back in the day. And that would be great for us too. A third connection between Psalm 1 and 2 is found in the concluding statement that they make. And again, we're going to see the same Hebrew word, but it's easier for us to recognize it because it's going to be the same word in English also. Psalm 1-6, the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And Psalm 2-12, do homage to the son lest he become angry and you perish in the way. I think I have those words highlighted on an, another slide if we're not already there. Way refers to actions, path, conduct, your walk, your lifestyle. So these two Psalms emphasize the blessing of those who delight in the instruction of the Lord and the blessing of those who take refuge in the Son. Throughout the rest of the Psalms, we're going to see things that make a man blessed. They make him happy. They give us abundant life. We are blessed when. We are blessed if. And I have an example. These are not on a slide. I'm just going to read them to you. Psalm 32, 1. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. Yes, what a blessing. And that makes me so happy to know that God forgives my sin. Psalm 33, 12, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Psalm 40, verse 4, how blessed is the man who has made the Lord his trust. Yes, that is what is going to comfort us and make us happy. Psalm 41, 1, how blessed is he who considers the helpless. There's something that we can do that is going to be a blessing to us. And now the third key that I want to talk about is refuge. And I'll show you the key later, but not quite yet. We're going to look at the concluding statement about blessing in Psalm 2:12, and we see this third key. 
How blessed are all who take refuge in Him, in the Son. When do you need to take refuge? In times of crisis, right? When there's a problem. During storms, like hurricanes, that are happening all over the Atlantic Ocean right now, and specifically in the Gulf of Mexico. We need to take refuge during times of war. We need to take refuge during times of threat. There's a term that we even need to know for our own safety in this building, shelter in place. And we may need to shelter in place if we get a report that there's an active shooter. Sadly, that's the type of language and information that we are becoming um, acquainted with. We need to shelter, take refuge, hunker down. So what crisis is seen in Psalm 1? Why is there a need for refuge? At the end it says, the way of the wicked will perish. And from what or from whom are kings of the earth to take refuge according to Psalm 2? They are to seek refuge from the wrath of God. Their animosity towards him, their rebellion, their independence is going to earn them destruction unless they submit to the Lord and his son, his anointed king. And I hope you'll understand how we can look at the instruction given to those kings and people who are against the Lord and learn how to apply that instruction to our own lives. Psalm 210 says, Therefore, O kings, show discernment. That means be wise. Take warning, O judges of the earth. There's something to be warned about. Worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. That's telling us there should be a fear and awe of God. Do homage to the Son, lest he become angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are all who take refuge in him. So the warning is given out. Sometimes we see it around us in the United States, and even in the face of severe warnings, some people choose not to heed them. And they still survive a terrible storm. That's good news for them. I'm glad they do when they haven't heeded the warning. But some people don't heed a warning and they still survive. But God has warned the world that he will pour out his wrath. And his wrath is deadly. And eternal death will come to those who have not heeded his warning. His warning is his coming. So seek refuge in his son. We're going to repeatedly see words like refuge, shelter, stronghold, deliverance, and salvation as we move through the book of Psalms. This is what David and the nation of Israel cry out for and look for and hope for and wait for from the Lord. So when we're waiting, we're waiting because there's been some message to us, a prophecy to us of what is going to happen. Psalm 2 is prophecy. It's referred to 18 times in the New Testament. Um, could you click two times and bring us to Psalm 12? And that'll just catch us up to where we should be. Thank you. We have seen in our homework that in Acts, the New Testament interpre interpreted the anointed one, the Messiah of Psalm 2-2, to be Jesus Jesus' name is not written in Psalm 2, but Acts tells us 
that it's referring to Jesus. The writers of the New Testament also understood the son of Psalm 2, 7 to be Jesus. And this is one of the Psalms, the verses in the Psalms most frequently referred to in the New Testament. So I wanted you to have it up in front of you on Psalm 2, and I believe it's highlighted there. It's quoted directly three times, Acts 13.33, Hebrews 1.5, and Hebrews 5.5. So Acts 13.33 says, God has fulfilled this promise to our children in that he raised up Jesus as it is also written in the second Psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. It's an exact quote from Psalm 2. And then Hebrews 1.5 quotes it again. For to which of the angels did he, God, ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And Hebrews 5.5 is another exact quote. So also Christ did not glorify himself so as to become a high priest, but he who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Pretty important verse if it's quoted exactly three times in the New Testament. In each of these references, the emphasis is placed on God as the Father and Messiah as the Son. And in the Hebrew original language, the relationship of the Son to the Father is what is emphasized. It's emphasized by the order of the words. And in the Hebrew, it literally says, my Son, you are. And I want you to try to imagine God the Father saying that to his Son, Jesus. The verbs used in this passage in the Hebrew indicate a loving relationship between father and son. So God is saying with love to his son, my son you are. And what's going on? In Psalm 2 we see that God is putting his plan in place. He's declaring that his son is going to be king. God is sovereign, and he glorifies himself by installing his son as king. So what we're seeing is the son is not usurping any power. He's not grabbing at power. He's not doing this for himself. He's not glorifying himself. God the Father is glorifying himself by putting his amazing son, Jesus, on the throne as king. So Jesus receives what is given to him. In the next slide, just to highlight the, another verse. When God the Father installs his son as king, he appoints him and declares that he is king and gives him great power and authority. And we see this in Psalm 2, 8 and 9. Ask of me is what Jesus is told. Ask of me and I will surely give the nations as thine inheritance and the very ends of the earth as thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt shatter them like earthenware. So I'm highlighting this verse because this verse is referred to three times in the New Testament and specifically in the book of Revelation. Revelation 12:5 says, And she gave birth to a son, a male child, who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. So that phrase comes directly from Psalm 2, 8 and 9. Verse 9. In Revelation 19:15, when Christ appears out of heaven on a white horse, he is said to judge and to make war. And why is he making war? At that time, in the future, kings of the earth are gathered, rulers of the world are gathered together, and 
They are still in a rage. They are still plotting vain things, and they are still conspiring against the Lord and His anointed. So Revelation 19.15 says about Jesus, From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. King of kings, we can tell that that is even referring back to the fact that Jesus is king installed as king on his throne as king because God the Father has placed him there. So because of Revelation 19:15, we know what's going to happen in the future. And there's a third quote in Revelation of Psalm 2, 8 and 9. I think this one's fascinating. In Revelation 2, 26 and 27, Jesus is speaking to the church in Theatira, and he's speaking to believers, and he quotes Psalm 2, 8 and 9, and he says, He who overcomes and he who keeps my deeds until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, as the vessels of the potter are broken to pieces, as I have also received authority from my Father. Do you understand what Jesus is saying to believers? He's saying what God has told him that he will do, Jesus is now telling us believers we will do with him. This is a special word of comfort to all believers who have been in the past and are now and will be oppressed by evil kings and rulers of the nations of the earth. The time will come when believers will stand with Christ in his power and have the authority to judge the nations for their behavior. So we have that comfort. We have that prophecy. But until that time comes, what are we to do? Love our enemies. Pray for those who persecute us. Tell them about Jesus. Tell them to seek refuge in Jesus, to take the warning so that they will not have to perish under the wrath of God. So to review briefly the promises of Psalm 1, there are blessings to the men and women who delight in the Lord's instruction. There are blessings to those who do not follow the ways of the wicked. There are blessings to those. There is prosperity for those who are meditating on Torah and on obeying Torah. And there is a promise in Psalm 1 that the wicked will perish. And then the promises of Psalm 2 are that the Lord's anointed king will be set in place on the throne in Zion. That's Jerusalem. The Lord's anointed king will rule over the nations. The Lord's anointed king will subdue his enemies. The Lord's anointed king will be reverenced. Blessing will come to those who take refuge in the Lord. And there's that promise that the enemies of the Lord will perish. This is great news. The Lord, the king will be victorious. And because we know he will be, he already is. It's, we will see it carried out, but it's a done deal. It's guaranteed. So we can celebrate his victory even now.
There will be no problems one day. There will be no enemies one day. And everyone who loves the Lord and who loves his word, his instruction, and who loves his anointed king will have a great life, blessing, strength, fruit, prosperity, fruit. There's fruit here because someone tells us that those who meditate on the law of the Lord will be like a tree planted by rivers of water and they will bear fruit in season. So I brought some fruit that comes off of trees for fun, just to remind us that when we're obeying, we will bear fruit in our lives. Now, we've looked at Psalm 1 and 2. We've got the stage set. There is blessing for those who are delighting in Torah and seeking refuge in the Son of God. So let's hear a testimonial from a satisfied follower of God, someone who's living out Psalm 1 and 2. Who might that be? Well, we have David. He's written Psalm 3 and more. He's the anointed king that God put on the throne during that day. David will proclaim that what God has promised in Psalm 1 and 2 is for real. He will do that. So let's look at Psalm 3. And this is on the, yes, very good. Psalm 3, 1, a Psalm of David, when he fled from Absalom, his son. Okay, there's a problem already. That title doesn't sound like it's a blessed life and things are going great. So let's read on and see what else it says. Oh, Lord, how my adversaries have increased. Many are rising up against me. That's not what Psalm 1 and 2 sounded like they were going to promise to the one who delights in the Lord and seeks refuge in him. Where's the prosperity? Where's the victory? What was the promise? How blessed are all those who take refuge in him. Well, when we keep reading through Psalm 3, we are going to see that David does take refuge in the Lord. So we'll continue. Psalm 3, 2. David says, many are saying of my soul, there is no deliverance for him in God. There is no deliverance for him in God. Selah. Selah means pause. Think about it. It might mean crescendo. Could be a musical interlude. I like the idea that it's think about it with this pause. Pause. Think about it. <laughs> Verse 3, but thou, O Lord, art a shield about me, my glory, and the one who lifts my head. I was crying to the Lord with my voice, and he answered me from his holy mountain. Selah. David had trouble, and he sought refuge in the Lord. I lay down and slept. I awoke, for the Lord sustains me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves against me round about. Verse 7, Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for thou hast smitten all my enemies on the cheek. Thou hast shattered the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Thy blessing be upon thy people. Selah. No matter what others may say about God, he is still God. Amen. That's just like, that's the best. No matter what anybody says, he still is. David saw the Lord as his shield. 
the one who would protect him and deliver him. So when everyone was against David, when his adversaries were many, he knew that the Lord was the lifter of his head. He knew that his honor and glory came from the Lord alone. So David was able to rest and sleep peacefully, knowing that the Lord would sustain him in confidence and in defiance of those who said there's no deliverance in God. David responded boldly. He prayed and he trusted that the Lord would arise and save him. So in this Psalm 3, even though we see trouble, and at first it's like, oh, wait, that doesn't sound like blessing. What we do see that David declared that with which all scripture agrees. Salvation belongs to the Lord. There is refuge in him. Now regarding Psalms 3 through 7, you saw in your workbook, Arranging the Flowers, they are a set. And they are called Psalms of Lament because there's crying, there's trouble. And, and David is praying and expressing his complaint to God. He's saying, I've got a problem. Here it is. I need your help. Please help me. Because of the titles of Psalm 3 and Psalm 7, that's another type of inclusio, it's bookends or a bracket around those. These five psalms, three, four, five, six, seven, all describe the time of Absalom's rebellion against his father, King David. Second, I'm sorry, Second Samuel 15 through 18 tell of this time, and I will give you a few brief, short verses to give you an idea of what was happening. Second Samuel 15, 10. Absalom sent spies throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, As soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, then you shall say, Absalom is king in Hebron. So he's ready to take over. 2 Samuel 15, 13. A messenger came to David, saying, The hearts of the men of Israel are with Absalom. Uh-oh, he's got a group. 2 Samuel 15, 14. David said to all his servants who were with him at Jerusalem, Arise and let us flee, for otherwise none of us shall escape from Absalom. Go in haste, lest he overtake us quickly and bring down calamity on us and strike the city with the edge of the sword. David is afraid of his son and what his son's followers are going to do against him. Second Samuel 18.31 And behold, the Cushite arrived and said to David the king, let my Lord the King receive good news, for the Lord has freed you this day from the hand of all those who rose up against you. Then the king said to the Cushite, Is it well with the young man Absalom? And the Cushite answered, Let the enemies of my Lord the King and all who rise up against you for evil be as that young man. And the king was deeply moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And thus he said as he walked, Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would I had died instead of you. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Even though Absalom was rebelling, it grieved David greatly that his son had to die. God did use that to give David refuge and keep David on the throne, and Absalom didn't get to usurp the throne of David. Once you have taken refuge in the Lord and are saved from his wrath to come, 
then you also can turn to the Lord and find refuge in Him during whatever circumstance in your life that you may face. Psalms 3 through 7 show us that David was being hunted down by his enemies. He needed a safe place to hide. And while he did hide himself in physical caves, he hid himself in the shelter of the Lord. His trust was in the Lord. His trust was for the Lord to be his deliverer through these trials. So Psalms 3 through 7 express the cries for help, the prayers of trust, and the certainty of hope that David had as he turned to the Lord. And I want to mention uh, slide 15, a few verses from Psalms 4, 5, and 6, and maybe 7, that indicate to us David's prayers and his trust that shows up. Psalm 4.1, David said, Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. Thou hast relieved me in my distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O sons of men, how long will my honor become a reproach? How long will you love what is worthless and aim at deception? Selah. Verse 3, But know that the Lord has set apart the godly man for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. There is confidence in David's heart and faith as he looks to the Lord. Psalm 5.1, give ear to my words, O Lord, consider my groaning, heed the sound of my cry for help, my King and my God, for to thee do I pray. Let all who take refuge in thee be glad, let them ever sing for joy, and may thou shelter them, that those who love thy name may exult in thee. That was verse 11. Let all who take refuge in thee be glad. Psalm 6, 8. Depart from me, all you who do iniquity. How would you like to have that as a memory verse that you're practicing all the time? It's not bad. <laughs> you might find that comes in handy sometimes. Depart from me, all you who do iniquity, for the Lord has heard the voice of my weeping. The Lord has heard my supplication. The Lord receives my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly dismayed. They shall turn back. They shall suddenly be ashamed. So again, we see David has hope and he has confidence in the Lord. And Psalm 7:1, a shigion of David, which he sang to the Lord concerning Cush, a Benjamite, when that Cushite brought the bad news of Absalom's death. O Lord my God, in thee I have taken refuge. Save me from all those who pursue me and deliver me. The need for refuge emphasizes human insecurity and inability in the face of calamity. Who can truly provide security and protection and deliverance but our great God? Can we save ourselves? No, we cannot. I like the way one commentator described the Psalms of Lament. He said, they lay their spiritual inhibitions aside as they deal with the crises that have interrupted their lives and created physical pain and spiritual consternation. That sure can happen. While the boldness and naked honesty of the psalmist may shock us, this attitude is nevertheless instructive for our own spiritual lives. What's going on in your life? 
First and most importantly, you need to consider whether you have sought refuge from the wrath of God. Have you put your trust in Jesus as the one who endured the wrath of God in your place? He endured the wrath that you deserved. And so for the third key, the symbol that I brought for refuge is the cross. Have you found refuge in the Son of God, Son of God who died for you in your place? And if you have any questions about that, please talk to me. Look at your workbook, page six. There's a page entitled, Do You Know Jesus? There's an explanation of salvation and a prayer of repentance where you can seek refuge, eternal refuge in the Son of God. And then once you've found refuge for eternity, you can address the need for refuge while you're still living here on earth. Lay aside your spiritual inhibitions and tell God what your problem is. Turn to Him with the crisis in your life. Are you talking to everybody but God about the problems? Are you turning to a friend or your husband or a coworker and just talking about it but not turning to God? He's the one who will comfort you and give you refuge and deliverance, the right perspective. We need to take our eyes off of the people around us and off of the circumstances around us and put our eyes on the Lord. All the details of Psalm 1 and 2 and 3 through 7 that we have considered in our homework and now, these point us in one direction. God is our refuge. His Son is our salvation. The God that David knew is the same God that we know today. We can take refuge in Him as our shield, our glory, and the lifter of our heads. When your head is bowed down with burdens, with grief, with tears, maybe with anger, with despair, if you are bowed down, what happens when someone comes and lifts your head? You see them right in front of you. Let the Lord be the one who lifts your head. Look up and see him. David trusted in the Lord and in his word. The greatest blessing of all will come to you when you spend time in God's word and you trust his son. So use the keys to the Psalms. Delight in Torah. Seek refuge in God's son, Jesus and be blessed. Those are the three keys to the book of Psalms. Let's close in prayer. <coughs> Lord God and Jesus, our King and our refuge, we just praise you for who you are, for all that you are and all that you have done and that you have done so much because of your love and your grace, 
and you've done it to glorify yourself, but what blessing we receive because you want us and you want us to know you and you want us to be in a right relationship with you. So thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for doing the work in your life and on the cross. And thank you for your resurrection and giving your life and your Holy Spirit to us. And I pray that we will walk according to your teaching, your way, according to your spirit. Lord, there are so many things going on in the world, uh, in the United States, in our state, in our homes everywhere there is something that we need your help with and I praise you that we can turn to you and that you know what you want to do I pray that we will have comfort and peace and joy as we have refuge in you right here and now I pray that you will give us your biblical perspective on the circumstances of our lives and help us understand that even when the blessing and that happiness isn't being felt, that you are still God and we are still yours through Jesus and you're still taking care of us. You are at work in our lives. So we thank you for your promises to us. We thank you for your word. And we lift ourselves to you. We give ourselves to you to walk humbly with you, our God. In Jesus' name, amen. That's all for today. Thank you for being here. And let's do it again next week. That's all for today. I am Elizabeth Ficken. Thanks for studying the Bible with me.